Welcome to Nerds at Church, a podcast diving deep into nerdery and the Bible. I'm Pastor Kay, and I use pronouns like she and her. And I'm Pastor Emily, and my pronouns are they, them, theirs. And I'm Mother Jo Kershaw, and my pronouns are she, her. In this episode, we'll discuss the 23rd Sunday after Pentecost, also known as Lectionary 31 or Proper 26, which this year falls on the 5th of November. We have one content notification for this episode. We talk about torture, terrorism, and anti-Catholic discrimination when discussing the deep dive. Also, a reminder for folks, if you haven't yet, please, please, please go fill out our survey. It is bit.ly slash NAC listener survey. We want to know what you think as we look at what season four will bring. And this is the last week that the survey is going to be open. So this is your last chance. Please help us out and fill out the survey. Thanks. Check out the episode description for links to the Bible passages and other references we make in this episode. So for our deep dive this week, since Sunday is Guy Fox Day, the 5th of November, we are excited to have special guest Mother Jo Kershaw, who is tutor in liturgy at the College of the Resurrection, Murfield, which is a Church of England seminary in Yorkshire, founded by Anglican monks. She was born in Scotland and studied medieval German, writing a doctoral thesis on 13th century mystic Mechthild of Magdeburg before studying for the priesthood. Welcome. Thank you. It's lovely to be with you. We are so glad to have you with us. Yeah. So in the U.S., particularly I can speak from my own experience, Guy Fawkes Day is V for Vendetta. Remember, remember the 5th of November. So what are we remembering? What is Guy Fawkes Day? Well, I mean, there, there's kind of two answers, if I'm honest. Sure. One is it's Bonfire Night. It's an occasion where the British love to let off fireworks, which is, of course, popular in many cultures and for many reasons. Um, eat various traditional oh, sure. foods. Mm-hmm. We can get into that a bit later. And build big bonfires Ooh. on which we burn a, often burn a sort of scarecrow figure, which is called a guy. And that brings me to the other aspect. Why is it Guy Fawkes Night? It's a pretty nasty story, actually. And Mm. I'm sure we'll get into how this sort of morphs into the V from Vendetta stuff. Mm -hmm. But this is the commemoration of the foiling of a plot to assassinate the king in 1605, King James I, or King James VI of Scotland, as he was also known, by blowing up the state opening of Parliament. Mm. It's got a pretty dark and in many ways actually quite unpleasant history. But the bonfire and the fireworks are a constant. I mean, everyone growing up in the UK knows the story and the history behind it. But it's also, I think, probably not at the forefront of most people's minds. Although, and we'll get into it, with Guy Fawkes, Guy Fawkes has turned into something completely different in popular culture, CV for Vendetta. Mm -hmm. And I'm excited to dive into that too. Sure. And the rhyme, yes, remember, remember the first, the 5th of November, gunpowder, treason and plot. I see no good reason why gunpowder, treason should ever be forgot. Ooh. Yeah, I confess, I did not grow up with V for Vendetta. I grew up with hearing mm-hmm. about Bonfire Night, mostly in uh, Agatha yes. Christie novels yep. and stories, because mm. it shows up a yep. few times. Uh, and so I was familiar with Bonfire Night, and I knew the name Guy Fox, but I didn't really know much of the story behind it until later. Yeah, I was just going to say that also feels like 
in the realm of the poem. It's like those cliches that we have of like one bad apple and people forget the rest of the cliche, which is one bad apple spoils the bunch. And that I was like, oh, as you said it, I was like, oh, yeah, but. I like that's never part of what I think about. Also, my aunt's birthday was the fifth of November, and so I have like yeah. my own fifth yeah. of November stuff, right? But slightly different. Yeah, but the full rhyme is mm. yeah, mm. a bit more. Yeah. So, who was Guy Fox, and when was he? Can you set him in a time in, in history for us? So, Guy Fox is born in York in 1570. He's a Yorkshireman, local local boy to me ish. So latter half of the 16th century, a time of obviously great religious tensions between Protestant and Catholic. At this time, it's Mm -hmm. difficult to be a Roman Catholic. Um, He had um, Roman Catholic connections in the family, although he was um, christened as an Anglican. Um, but his mm. his father died. His mum his mum remarries a committed Roman Catholic, and he seems to be brought up mm. as a Roman Catholic. He goes over the continent as a soldier of fortune, which wasn't unusual. But he ends up getting involved with a political conspiracy. What's a soldier of fortune? So a soldier of fortune is a mercenary. Oh, okay. he goes and takes service. Am. Yeah, it. It's an older term for mercenary. It's usually used for people who are sort of slightly higher class. Mm. And Guy <laughs> the Fox elite. Is, yeah, well, not quite. He's not super wealthy. He's not noble. Mm. But his family had some lands and some money. Mm. And sure. he gets on very well in various continental armies. Uh, he's a very proficient soldier. He's particularly good with explosives, which mm. becomes relevant. Um, yeah. And... Then he gets involved with a group of very radical English Roman Catholics who are unhappy about Mm. the fact that Roman Catholics can't worship openly. There had been a hope that uh, when James VI of Scotland ends up succeeding Elizabeth, who of course dies without any children, that he would be more open to giving Roman Catholics civil rights. I'm not sure why. Mm -hmm. Everyone seems to have projected a lot of hopes onto James. It's a time of great conflict. The more radical Protestants who think that the Church of England is not reformed enough, who want to take it in a more Calvinist and more Puritan direction, also Mm -hmm. convince themselves that James is their man because he was brought up in the Church of Scotland. Actually, it turns out that James quite likes Episcopalianism for a variety of reasons, (laughs) both political and also I think he just liked ceremony and he liked things being done in an elaborate way. He's also really into the theatre. So he's gay. Sorry. It has been speculated, although (laughs) he was... This this is like the stereotype. It is a stereotype. I mean, it's been much debated. He had a particularly close male friend, the Duke of Buckingham, mm-hmm. but I think, he, but he was I didn't also know it was accurate. Yeah, I mean, I think <laughs> if we're going to try and fit him into modern categories, I would probably go for by because he sure. seems to have genuinely got on well with his wife. Um, they have a number of children. Mm-hmm. Oh, good. He's a good father by early modern standards. Hmm, sure. And this is also the King James, who's behind the King James authorized version of the Bible, right? Yeah. So, so English Catholics aren't happy. However, most of them are trying to get things changed by showing they're good, loyal citizens and perhaps encouraging Mm -hmm. 
Catholic monarchs overseas to do a bit of quiet diplomacy. However, there is a more radical group. There's an earlier plot. There's a plot early on in the reign of James, led by a guy called Lord Cobham and Walter Raleigh, not that Walter Raleigh, <laughs> who want to remove James and his family and supplant them with his relative Arbella Stuart. They try to get Philip, King Philip of Spain, to fund them. Turns out mm. the Spanish monarchs are not actually that keen on opening a can of worms of interfering with other nations internal arrangements they don't want to do a coup great way to start a war absolutely somebody it's not clear who who denounces them james interestingly enough only executes one of the people involved it's very close to the start of his reign first i think james is not actually keen on killing people for ideological reasons i mean he'll do it he's an early modern monarch he assumes that's what you do if you're king but he doesn't enjoy it which I think is reasonable, okay. to his credit. Yeah. So he doesn't want to start the reign with a bloodbath. Yeah. Now, yeah. we do know that this plot was it was denounced by Roman Catholics who knew about it because they're scared of what will happen as a consequence. They think there's going to be a massacre if they're involved in killing the king or his family. And James goes out of his way to make it clear that he's grateful to these people. He doesn't take any action beyond the immediate conspirators and he pardons a number of the conspirators literally on the scaffold, although the two priests who were involved are executed. So spool forward a bit Mm -hmm. further. James, in 1604, discovers that the Pope has sent his wife, whose Catholic connections, a rosary. He starts to get a bit paranoid. And interestingly enough, he's particularly Mm -hmm. paranoid about Jesuits which is not an uncommon position at the time. The Jesuits are kind of the shock troops of the Counter-Reformation. They're well-educated, they're well-connected. There's also a sense, and and you get this interestingly enough within Catholic circles as well, that nobody quite knows what the Jesuits are up to. (laughs) I think we still have that, but in a very... very, But in a very different different sense, because nowadays we sort of associate the Jesuits with left-wing politics and broadly yeah, liberal sure. theology exorcisms and these jesuits are not like that yeah. no huh. so james decides that the catholics are becoming a problem he orders jesuits in particular but also other catholic priests too to leave the country and he reimposes fines on the term used as recusants these are roman catholics who don't minimally conform to church of england worship by going along a couple of times a year and receiving communion mm. hmm. Hmm. Okay. so these are quite heavy fines if you don't go right. along at all if you're of moderate means you end up having to pay two-thirds of your income for the year which is a lot of money whoa yeah, yeah. now there's very spotty evidence for how systematically these were collected and i think in a lot of places people just you know as long as they you know if they were moderately good terms their catholic neighbors they just let it slide but the catholics really did have good reason to be unhappy and a lot of them felt let down they'd formed quite a positive impression of james early on and now they feel oh no he's showing his true colors Mm. so a group of conspirators who form around a man called robert catsby or catesby i'm never entirely sure how he's supposed to be pronounced let's go with catsby described by sources as a good-looking man about six feet tall athletic and a good swordsman who has had Mm -hmm. a long history of being involved in various plots i mean he was even involved in a plot against queen elizabeth she allowed him to live but find him four thousand marks which 
is just over six million pounds. So Ooh. getting Ooh, on, that's like yeah, a fine. lot of money. That is a big fine. That's yeah. serious money. Mm-hmm. He then goes to Spain. He tries to convince the Spanish king to launch an invasion attempt of England, which he assures him will be supported by English Catholics. This was rubbish. Mm. And Philip III is not up for this. He wants peace with England. He doesn't mm-hmm. want... Sure. And, he, and I think he can see it's going to be a disaster. He's not stupid. <laughs> but Catsby and his friends keep going. Catsby's convinced himself that he can re-establish Catholicism in England. He's had relatives who were priests who were executed. And that's the thing. Elizabeth kills some Catholics for their faith. James doesn't tend to, you know, unless there's evidence that they've been doing politically dodgy things. But Roman Catholic mm-hmm. priests who go to England and who get caught are putting themselves at very high risk of being tried and executed and a lot of these are the relatives these are english men who have gone over to the continent because they felt a vocation to the priesthood the ministry and are coming back and these are relatives of the people they're ministering to so catsby gathers a number of people he goes sort of shopping around at the courts of europe particularly spain trying to get backing for this attempt to murder the king and they don't actually get anywhere but he gathers a number of nobles and they've met Guy Fawkes they're impressed with his serious commitment to the cause of bringing Roman Catholicism back to England and Fawkes takes on a false identity of uh, one of the conspirators Thomas Percy's servants he starts for some reason using the pseudonym John Johnson which I have to say is a pretty rubbish pseudonym, but hey. Yeah. I was just going to say, it's like the psychologist who like yeah. did developmental psychology and renamed himself Eric Erickson. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Like, ah. Yeah. But it, particularly in Britain, I mean, I, I guess if you're in a country where there are lots of Scandinavian immigrants, you might get away with it. But in Britain, I think <laughs> that is just kind of painting a label and saying, hi, I'm using a false name. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> They buy a building. They decide that they're going to start tunnelling under the House of Lords. This this is incidentally a pretty terrible plot. Their end game is that the king is going to die along with a lot of parliamentarians. So going to knock out the elite. And they're going to kidnap James's eldest living child, his daughter, a little girl. She was nine, I think. Yes, nine, that's right. Her name was Elizabeth, confusingly. The Stuarts weren't very creative with names. (laughs) And they're going to put her on the throne as a puppet king, as puppet queen rather, and get her to bring back Catholicism. Now, they never get to the point of deciding, because James has two boys at this age. They're younger than Elizabeth. Henry, who, who dies as a young man, and young Charles, who goes on to be Charles I. And they never actually work out what they're going to do with the, with the boys. They're sort of vague comments about, we'll Great. work out what sure. role we give them in the ceremonies of state. And you kind of think you should have thought about this. Yeah. Right. Also, I mean, by the laws of the time, wouldn't yeah, one ab- of the boys ab- have inherited ab- absolutely. the crown rather I mean, than... We, we only changed this century the law that makes it the <laughs> right. eldest child inherit. Yeah, and, it, and it's not like the Roman Catholics no, worked differently no, it's in that not. regard. So that's very strange. So, okay. so this, this is basically a pretty rubbish plot. Okay. They start tunnelling and trying to tunnel their way to the House of Commons. They then start to get worried about, actually, maybe people can hear us. But they manage to hire a building with a cellar 
that goes under the Houses of Parliament. And although Guy Fawkes was a good engineer in the sense that he knows how to blow stuff up, he doesn't know anything about mining. No one involved in this plot knows anything about mining. <laughs> oh, no. So they um, yeah. they managed to rent a house which has a cellar directly under the House of Lords and they start storing gunpowder about it. Now, word starts to leak out about this plot. It's not entirely clear how. They have told their priests about it in confession and there's an unfortunate priest who wasn't involved in the plot called Father Garnet who overhears the confession and he's not happy about this but he Ooh. feels that he isn't at liberty to share what was said in the confessional uh, which turns out to mm-hmm. be really unfortunate for him. But sure. someone hears about it who starts to get a bit worried starts to have moral mm-hmm. qualms about it partly because some of the parliamentarians particularly the House of Lords actually were Roman Catholics and he mm-hmm. starts to think hang on a minute oh. firstly we're going, we're going to blow up a lot of people who are relatively innocent and also sure. we're going to blow up yeah. some of our own people so, yeah. so somebody sends an anonymous letter to Lord Montague a Roman Catholic warning that something is going to happen at the opening of Parliament and please don't tell anyone about this, but you might okay. want to find an excuse to stay home. Montague is not okay with attacks on the king or on the Houses of Parliament. Mm-hmm. So sure. what he does is he goes to King James and he shows them the letter and says, Sire, I've had this letter. I'm really worried about it. I think I ought to tell you. And now something sort of slightly odd happens because the letter doesn't go into any details of the plot, but it uses the phrase, strike a heavy blow. And James's grandfather had been blown up by an exploding cannon. It wasn't an assassination plot. It was an accident. But something about that phrase, heavy blow, makes him think explosions. So he orders that they make a search all around the Houses of Lords. And Guy Fawkes is caught on top of a giant stack of gunpowder. Oh, goodness. (laughs) Practically a smoking gun. Yep, indeed. Mm-hmm. and is arrested. This is where the story gets very dark and sort of goes from farce to tragedy, although there are mm. still some quite farcical elements in it because, as I say, this was not a very well-executed plot. Fox, yeah. Guy Fox is a pro. I just, like, we did an episode on vengeance earlier, like, mm. this fall, and part of me is like, it just feels so incompetently done mm. and it feels like cishet white like gamer kids who are like ah i'm pissed about this yeah, thing yeah. i'm just gonna do yeah. the thing and then it's yeah. like you don't even know what you're doing like yeah no forethought yeah. oh gosh yeah you're right though it's strange though because these weren't teenagers by and large yeah right i mean i think catsby thought he was invincible he survived plotting against queen elizabeth i think he thinks he's untouchable which, like, but, that piece, okay, and, I get that. Yeah, but, like, but, sure. And some people don't really mature true. beyond teenagerhood That's in true. some ways anyway. <laughs> but, but, it, but, like, was, out of 13, yeah, somebody's gotta be yeah. like... You would, you'd have thought that someone said, hang on a minute, there is no possible way this can end. Well, I mean, particularly given that they've been trying to get the King of Spain as one of the major power brokers buy-in for this, and they basically said, go away, we do not want anything to do with this, we do not want to know. We are not going to back you in any way, shape or form. I mean, I think they, to a certain extent, there's a certain amount of nihilism comes into it. There are people Mm. involved who feel like their life is going nowhere. Someone said... I mean, that's like a recipe, uh, yeah. 
yeah, I mean, one of the conspirators goes back and forth about whether he wants to be involved. His name was Thomas Winter. One of his uncles had been a priest who was martyred. And he says something Mm. like, let's give the attempt and where it faileth, pass no further. Which I think means that he Mm. thought that the wheels would come off at an earlier stage, I suspect. Okay. Like sure. tunneling and the tunnel collapses. Yeah, I have... But it's but it's yeah. possible that it, it's possible <laughs> that he's just given up. That he's depressed about the yeah. state of the country. Sure. He was close to his uncle who has died. But it may be that he just doesn't care anymore. And I have spoken to a few folks who investigate various types of crime, and the overwhelming comment is that a lot of horrible plots yeah. don't come off because it turns out that most people who plan crime are not exactly chess yeah. grandmasters to start with. And also, I've heard from various historians that a lot of history can be explained by the truly wild rate of what we would now call mm. fetal alcohol syndrome in in history because we didn't know that not drinking yeah. during pregnancy and, was important. And the water, and the water so. wasn't safe to drink anyway. So, you know, what can you do? Yeah, I I mean, I think certainly anyone sensible and anyone who actually was a chess grandmaster would have run very far (laughs) in the opposite direction or done what Montague did. And if you see something, say something. So Guy Fawkes is arrested. He continues to give his false name, John Johnson. James is told about this and asks to see him. And he's, he's actually, in a way, quite impressed by Guy Fawkes. He's impressed by his bearing, by his physical courage. But Fox is tortured and he holds out for just over a day. They, they start off with, mm. with little tortures and it gets increasingly nasty. And eventually, inevitably, sure. Fox breaks. But it, in a way, it doesn't matter because the other conspirators have already all panicked and run away from London. Right. And it very mm. quickly becomes obvious who's involved because they're all gone yep they try a number of them including catsby try to go into hiding but they're pursued you know it's just a mess they pretend that they're going hunting but news the plot spreads the authorities set extra guards on the city gates they have to send guards to protect the, the house of the poor spanish ambassador who is completely uninvolved in all this but he's a representative of oh goodness prominent spanish sure. nation the london mob gets very very angry and they have to send troops out to protect his house. so i'm happy to say they do manage to keep the mob out of the spanish embassy no innocent spaniards were harmed in this incident. Various okay. arrest warrants are issued. Guy Fox initially reveals nothing other than the name of his mother, who's dead by this point, and that he's from mm-hmm. Yorkshire, which is a detail I love, incidentally. Um, people from Yorkshire <laughs> are um, always very proud to be from Yorkshire and very keen to tell you they're from Yorkshire. <laughs> Johnson admits that he wants to blow up the King in Parliament, but he conti- he continues for quite a long time to maintain his acting alone even after the torture started which is one of the reasons why i think the king's impressed by him because it's quite Mm -hmm. obvious he could possibly be acting alone so in the end the conspirators are all rounded up there is a showdown in a place called holbeck house where a number of them are holed up including catsby and some of them they've they've still got some gunpowder they fled with gunpowder they got rained on and for some reason, they take it into their heads that it would be a good idea to... I mean, I think this can only be explained by the fact they were exhausted and panicking and act, and doing stupid things. They decide that they're going to dry the gunpowder out in front of the fire. What? Yup. 
Yeah. Really? Yeah, I don't, you know, it's, it's one of those where you just scratch your head thinking what was going on in these people's heads. I mean, they were very wet and very cold and very terrified and people make bad decisions. But nonetheless, there's bad decisions and they're, oh, we've got some gunpowder, let's put it in front of the fire to dry. And, <laughs> yeah. And there's an explosion in a fire which engulfs Catsby, Rookwood, Grant and... An unfortunate guy called Morgan, who wasn't part of the plot, but had got dragged along with the fake hunting party. Oh, no. Oh, goodness. Yeah. Yeah. A number of them die. Catsby survives. And the sheriff of Worcestershire Hmm. and a company of 200 men. survives. (laughs) Their attention being attracted by this massive great explosion and fire, which, you know... As one would be, Mm -hmm. rush the property. Thomas Winter is hit in the shoulder. A number of the conspirators are killed at this point. But a number of other people are arrested. There is a general, what the more sensible moderate Catholics were afraid of, inevitably happens. There are a bunch of Mm -hmm. people who were arrested who probably weren't involved or were only very marginally involved. The usual suspects. Is this where the one priest... Who yeah, the, overheard the com- this this is where Garnet gets gets arrested, okay. and th- and the woman who was hiding him, who who certainly had nothing to do at all with the plot, gets mm. arrested. Although she's eventually released, she continues to claim that she didn't know that Father Jared was a priest. She says she just knew he was a Catholic gentleman, which mm. is probably rubbish. But on the other hand, what are you going to do in those circumstances? Sure. And also, if you are a Catholic and a Catholic priest comes to hide like i don't know there's amount an amount of like care and reciprocation for yeah clergy absolutely she's like, absolutely yeah you're gonna hide him yeah of course you are of course you yeah. are yeah after the initial roundup of people who might be conspirators there is a more proper investigation proper unfortunately in this instance includes torture but they do actually make a decent effort to sort out who is actually involved in the plot and things happen like James makes a speech to both houses on the 9th of November where he obviously as you would expect condemns the plot as a wicked thing to do um, but he also goes out of his way to say that this is just a few Catholics he, he's very explicit that most English Catholics were opposed to this so he does make an effort to say you know don't go out and attack your Roman Catholic neighbor. Okay, but is this like the kind of don't go out and attack that like Bush did after 9-11? No, this is... Muslims or who's like, don't attack them, but like then we're going to do all the Islamophobia. No, well, it's a bit of both, I think. I mean, but what you have to bear in mind is that this was already a very anti-Catholic society. And I think James, I mean, he's not hugely happy about having large numbers of Catholics in his realm. But he also is, I think, quite genuinely concerned to protect those who aren't politically active he hopes he'll stop he's trying to stop them being catholic but he wants to do that Mm. through broadly peaceful means i mean of course a a catholic would say well you know having to pay large fines for going to church is not that peaceful this is not free consent yeah no and that's true but i think at the same time james is sincere about not wanting large-scale persecutions and not wanting to limit violence sure so we get to the trials. It's very hard to get your head into the space of how this plays out because, I mean, on the one hand, these people have been quite brutally t- tortured. On the other hand, we get all the apparatus of, the, of a fair trial and charges are dropped against some people where they think they can't prove it in open court. Some, some people After are they're tortured, so, though. Yeah. No, I'm not saying yeah. this is good. 
from a okay. modern you know yeah, I'm no, not I'm saying just this making is more sure like yeah. yeah sure but the interesting thing is that there are still limits mm-hmm. and there is still sure. a sense of concern about not destroying innocent people there is a sort of weird early modern mentality that testimony is more reliable if it's obtained under torture whereas of course from you know even from quite a pragmatic perspective bracketing morality out of it we know that's not true mm-hmm. yeah Right. So it's so it's hard to get your head into. We we get this scene where one of the conspirator, one of the conspirators, mm-hmm. most of them maintain their innocence, but one mm-hmm. man, Digby, he has a wife and children. I think he is really keen oh. to try to salvage something for them mm-hmm. in terms of lands and income. Although he he fails, his wife's reduced to poverty, so he pleads guilty, asking for mercy for his family and also asking to be executed by the axe rather than the punishment that's meted out to everyone else. Uh, we'll get to that in a moment, and it is distressing. Mm-hmm. He makes a speech saying he's motivated purely by trying to get better conditions for Catholics, blaming James for not keeping his promises, and saying he would never have done this if he hadn't been desperate to improve the condition of his co-religionists. But he, interestingly, he asks for forgiveness, and some of the people who are in the courtroom cry out, God forgive you, we forgive you. But he's still sentenced mm. to death, and he doesn't get the nice version of the sentence to death either. So everyone who is sentenced to death is sentenced to death by what's called hanging, drawing, and quartering. I've which heard is a, of that. Yeah. Now, this but is a particularly nasty way to kill yeah. someone. So what happens is that normally when a hangman tries to hang someone, they want to break their necks so that they die quickly. Yeah. As yeah. you know. But in this scenario, the hangman is trying not to break their neck. So they partially strangle them. And then while they're still alive, they cut them down. And then if it's a man, and I have to say it would be very, it was very unusual as punishment to be meted out to women, then they would castrate them. Sure. And then they disembowel them. And then they cut them in four. And they display parts of their body in different places. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's, it's... like somewhere in there they die, but we don't... Somewhere in oh. there, yeah, exactly. And yeah, no, it's, it's really, it is really horrific and really dark. And I mean, what tended to happen is that is, yeah, the phrase used, put to death halfway between heaven and earth as unworthy of both. Generally, yeah. people who were going to, who were going to be subjected to this punishment try to ju- jump off the gallows violently in the hope that they'll break their neck. Guy Fawkes succeeded in this. No one else manages oh. it. I mean, some of the hmm. Digby, for instance, just just goes along with it, tries to die with what dignity he can muster in this, circum- in this circumstance. A guy called Robert Keyes attempts to break his neck and fails. So, yeah, it was a really, it was a really unpleasant end. And that, yeah. that, that's kind of the end of the, pl- the end of the plot in terms of popular reaction. The initial reaction is everyone is very relieved that the plot has been foiled. Absolutely, sure. including including a number of Roman Catholics. Of course, they're also very, very depressed because they correctly predict that what will happen is that Parliament will bring will bring through further anti-Catholic legislation. And what happens is that the laws are strengthened. We go back to the full Elizabeth system of fines and restrictions, including what's called a sacramental test. So everyone is required to take communion in the Church of England, which is a problem if you're a Roman Catholic. It's a problem for other people as well. But most of the people it's aimed at and most of the people it affects at this stage are Roman Catholics. And that goes on in some form or another for another 200 years. Although a number of loyal, of important, 
high status Catholics who are willing to sort of equivocate about what they believe, maintain their office during King James's reign. Um, King James, I was about to say there's no witch hunt, which is not true because of course James also ends up having a thing about witches. So there was a literal witch hunt. Sure. Okay. And actually, it's interesting as a side note, a lot of the things that are produced as evidence for people being witches look suspiciously like things a Roman Catholic might do. I mean, not making pacts with Satan, hmm. but some of the, you know, they mutter things under their breath as a prayer. And a number of the people who are identified, you can see this in the Pendle Witch Trials, a lot of the people who are identified as witches are from Roman Catholic families. So ah. there's this weird crossover. Convenient. But, but I mean, Charles doesn't want to go out of his way to investigate Catholics. So there are people, as long as they're willing to do the bare minimum to convince him that, I mean, I'm not saying this is a good liberal policy, but uh, but okay, it's interesting yeah. that he doesn't go as, despite the fact that that, that James becomes quite a paranoid person, he, get, he gets an obsession with plots against his life. You can kind of understand why, to be fair. I was going to say, um, I mean, uh, oh, absolutely. I get it. <laughs> It's not paranoia if they're actually out and, to kill and you. And I mean, you, can, you know, you can see it. And he's Macbeth. Primarily, the stuff sure. there is about witches, but it feeds in, I think, to James's general interest and in sort of theme of people wickedly plotting against their their rightful king. Sure. But yeah, so it was very bad news for Roman Catholics in England. And what happens in terms of celebrating it is that Parliament passes a law called the Observance of 5th November Act 1605, otherwise known as the Thanksgiving Act, which calls for an annual public thanksgiving for the failure of the plot, demanding so an annual church service and ringing of bells, and there are supposed to be other observances, which is where sort of bonfires start to come in as a celebration. So you, So everyone was required to go to church, and to remain orderly through the service. Mm-hmm. And the Act of Parliament was supposed to be read as part of the service, which is is a strange observance liturgically. We're going to go to church and we're going to lead sure. the, read this, this piece of legislation. I mean, I'm not going to read you the whole thing because it's very long. It does start off by, by, by thanking God for his mercy in having true and free profession of the gospel under our most gracious sovereign Lord King James, the most great, learned and religious king that ever reigned therein. Enriched hmm. with the most helpful and plentiful progency. Well, given what happened with his son, I think citation needed, as he would say, on Wikipedia. <laughs> Which the many malignant and devilish papists, Jesuits and seminary priests, much envying and fearing, conspired horribly. Yeah, sure. and and it goes on about about. Wait, so were there any actual Jesuits proved um, to be a part yes, of this? Yes, well, there were Jesuit okay. priests who were aware of it through the confessional. Oh yes, yeah. okay. there is no proof that any of them thought it was a good idea. They probably <laughs> didn't, I would guess. But as I say, there is huge paranoia about Jesuits. Yeah, is this potentially where there's a shift, right, yep. in confession and stuff? Or like in confidentiality, mm. where you shift from if it is a future thing that someone is going to do, then there is more of an obligation to say something versus if someone's confessing something they already did. Well, yeah, I mean, as part of it, I mean, you can't, strictly speaking, confess something you haven't done yet. Yeah. And you certainly, despite what Philip Pullman would have you believe, you cannot give someone an absolution in advance. Well, I mean, maybe you can in the world of the magisterium, <laughs> but the the actual Roman Catholic Church frames sure. on this practice and always has done. 
I think the first episode of Daredevil yeah. dealt with yeah. that one. Uh, it did, yes, that's right. And, and I mean, I think Daredevil does handle all that side of thing, things quite well. Clearly they've got <laughs> someone involved in writing it who knows what they're talking about. Always refreshing. Yeah, it's it's surprising, mm-hmm. to be honest. Mm-hmm. Sort of gen- you know, yeah. So we get this, I think it makes in terms of sort of practical practice of how you, how you hear a confession and... I think I think it makes a lot of confessors more alive to what we might have to, you know I can you know the seal of the sacrament and this is true in the Church of England too we still have, we still have the seal of the confessional to be very clear that this only sure. applies to things that are actually said while I am hearing your confession in the sense that you said bless me father for I have sinned it does not apply to chat before or afterwards yeah. and I mean right. for instance it sort of made people more aware that sometimes you have to say right okay I'm not going to divulge this but I'm not going to give you absolution unless you go to the authorities which you know they might yeah. or might not do but, but i think it does make you realize that there were a lot of ways beyond the obvious where a roman catholic priest was and i mean they might not have confessed to them that's the thing you know it garnet mm. knew sure. but we don't necessarily know what some of the others had or hadn't heard yeah. but saying well they didn't confess this to me they confessed x y or z is also breaking the seal of the confessional mm-hmm. and if you're being right. very you can't even admit yeah heard and, and if you're being very straight right. about it even saying you've heard it is a breach i think probably these days most people wouldn't take that line they would say yes i heard their confession but i'm not going to tell you anything that they said mm-hmm. because it's covered by the seal right. yeah so going back to the we we, we get this legal obligation to hold these services which actually remain on the statute books until 1859 although yeah although interestingly enough the act although it goes into great detail about the horribleness of the crime and the goodness of king james and how Mm -hmm. you absolutely must do this it doesn't actually prescribe any penalty for not going Hmm. or for omitting to hold the service oh interesting um sure also, I kind of wonder how those later monarchs for those next 250-odd years felt about James <laughs> being announced as the most religious yep. and wonderful monarch. Well, I, mean, I suppose you can, t- I suppose like you can take it as to date. I, yeah, I, mean, I don't think he was the most religious king England has <laughs> ever had. He probably yeah. does have a decent case for the most learned to that hmm. point. Although Elizabeth would, Elizabeth and Mary, Elizabeth would in her in her way would run him close. James. Oh, but she was a woman, so... Yeah, mm-hmm. and also she was his immediate predecessor, and no one really likes, you know, often people don't like praising their their immediate predecessor to the skies. You know, it's it's different if it's, you know, if it was 500 yeah. years ago, fine, you can say maybe they were better at Greek than you were. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, yeah, the, the flattery's being laid on with a trowel, but James was genuinely a very well-educated and academically oriented man. Sure. So... The observance of the church services sort of fizzles out over the centuries. By the time it's repealed in 1859, there were undoubtedly some rubric fascists who were holding these services every year. You certainly Mm. wouldn't have got everyone in the parish coming to them, unless they fell on a Sunday, perhaps. But what does remain very, very popular is bonfires, Mm -hmm. burning Guy Fawkes in effigy. Sure. Less popular with Catholics, naturally. Yeah, understandable. You can understand. You'd imagine. And it, but it gradually morphs away from being a sort of yay King James, boo Catholics, to being yay fireworks. The innate human need to set yeah, things on indeed. fire. Absolutely. <laughs> there are some exceptions. I mean, there's, a, there's a town called Lewis in Sussex where they have particular bonfire observances, which still has quite an anti-Catholic flavour more than mm. it would elsewhere. Mm. 
in Britain, mm-hmm. but it's also kind of morphed into, into a comment on the day. So they burn sure. popular politicians in effigy. So, mm. bar- so, so oh, Boris Johnson got burned in effigy after the Partygate scandal. There's a shock. And, and there's a sort of... Well, and from what I've seen of portrayals of Bonfire Night, I think for our American audience, it's not just a straight bonfire because usually there are like little yeah, fireworks right. placed yeah, inside sometimes. the bonfire that go yeah. off throughout. Or you may have a sort of organised display at a distance from the fireworks. That's probably more common, yeah. I think. Oh, sure. And kids yeah. get given sparklers. Do you call them sparklers in America? Yeah, yeah good. Yeah. I never know, you see. Yeah. No, you're like, yeah. you've been throwing in these like turns of phrase that I'm like, oh, that totally makes sense. We've never used that. Yeah. So it's, yeah. it's fantastic. But yeah. I mean, bon, bon, Bonfair, Bonfair Night becomes a bit odd, actually, because there's, in, in, in its origins, it's about celebrating loyalty to Protestant religion and to the British crown. But it very quickly develops a sort of edge of letting off steam more generally and a sort of slight sure. element of I mean you can see that in Lewis I mean yes they burned the Pope in effigy I regret to say I mean not recently but they would historically sure. burn the Pope in effigy right. but you know they'll also mm-hmm. burn Boris Johnson they'll burn effigy of the Prime Minister <laughs> yeah it's sort of very equal yeah, but, but yeah. what I'm saying is I think it, it, it starts to develop this edge of being just general protest and sort of slight small a anarchism and and you get yeah yeah. i I was gonna say i can be on board with the let's not blow people up part of this celebration like (laughs) that it kind of reminds me last summer sometime we had a reading in the lectionary from i guess it must have been the gospel of mark where jesus is asked by the disciples hey should we set these people on fire and jesus says no no don't set people on fire fire and it's yeah it's one of the very few rare moments when jesus is actually completely clear in an answer to literally any yeah, question. Yeah, that's true. I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, and you get tradition. So in parts of Lancashire and West Yorkshire, so close to where I am now, it was known as Mischief Night and hmm. becomes mm-hmm. an evening where, where the lads just go out and play pranks on their neighbours. Okay. That's sure. kind of died out now because it's got sort of rolled into Halloween and trick-or-treating. The two days fall quite close together. And in other yeah, parts of the say, UK... Yeah, although there wasn't any treat about Mischief Night, unless the treat was you, you get to mess up your neighbour's <laughs> garden yeah. with relative impunity. Sure. And in the 19th century, you start to get people talking about Guy Fawkes as a hero who was trying to campaign for people's freedom and liberty, which he wasn't mm. really. He was trying to campaign for the liberty of Roman Catholics to be Roman Catholics, which in his mind probably went along with the liberty of Roman Catholics to stop people being Protestants. Yeah, so you mentioned some of the ways that people like celebrate and commemorate today. And I think it's interesting, like the fireworks piece, I think is interesting because in the United States, there's a lot more movement and pushing towards not having fireworks or at a minimum not having noisy fireworks. But both, like, environmentally, Mm. not having fireworks is better for the environment, but also the number of people with PTSD or those sorts of things where the loud bangs. Yeah. I mean, that is a point of debate here. There are, Mm. obviously, we too have people with PTSD. I mean, before I came to Merrifield, I was a parish priest, and one of my parishioners was a war veteran. He'd been wounded by an IED in, in Afghanistan. And although physically i mean the guy who's with him was killed physically he got off relatively lightly but massive massive psychological trauma and he finds the whole period around guy fawkes very very difficult obviously and people are starting Mm -hmm. to talk about that a bit but unfortunately 
over the last sort of 10, 15, 20 years, there's also been sort of drive to fireworks becoming bigger and more noisy, which cuts against that. And I noticed last year that some of the, some of the supermarkets were selling no-bang fireworks, which oh, nice. would be a really good thing. And, you know, they are, yeah. they're, they're nice. I mean, I'm, I like fireworks, but I'm not a big fan of the sc- loud screeches and noises. I mean, I don't have PTSD, but I still don't like it. And I mean, there are other sensory yeah, things, sure. you know, and people's pets. You know, yeah. so there are a lot of reasons why a number of people are starting to say, hang on a minute, do we really have to have these these loud bangs? The no-bang fireworks are a great idea. I think they're, they have, you know, the things like Roman candles, which is Roma's in Italy, not Roma's in Roman Catholic, which which are just sort of, mm. <laughs> I think it's important in context to explain. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. I, I could for sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> which are just sort of, sort of fountains of sparks. Catherine mm, wheels that yeah, don't yeah. scream, named after St. Catherine, of course who's executed on a burning wheel it's said so there's sort of three three fireworks tied in a triangle on a piece of card which you nail into something and if you've nailed them correctly they have a terrible tendency to stick but if you've got it right it goes round and round and round in a circle oh <laughs> huh. okay so we have various fireworks with various names some of which are called things like the destroyer 300 and sort of more recent recent coinage <laughs> or the screaming eagle yeah. but but there are some that have some traditional names like the catherine wheel that are a bit more interesting yeah i had i didn't know about those names that's yeah that is really interesting yeah and then yeah. there are other you know there are other traditions like you it's very popular to bake potatoes in the ashes of the bonfire <gasps> that is perfect sure. i love baked potatoes yeah. and as we get more into fall right now, I have definitely been on a baked potato kick. So yep. that would be wonderful. Yeah. And then people like to, to bring toffees and sweets along. There's a particular mm. kind of toffee called cinder toffee, which you hmm. you make by tipping bicarbonate of soda into the pan. And then it becomes very bubbly, almost like a yeah. And, oh, and also it, it tends to catch a bit and to have a slightly burnt flavour. It is notorious oh. for removing people's fillings, cinder toffee. So as <laughs> care is indicated. Yeah. And here in the Pennines, there's a popular kind of gin- dark gingerbread cake that's made with oats and treacle, which is similar to molasses, called mm. Parkin, which is really popular. Hmm. Interesting. Sure. I have never had cinder toffee or parkin, and I'm more curious about the cinder yeah, toffee. Parkin's great. I'm yeah. I'm not personally a fan mm-hmm. of cinder toffee, but parkin is fantastic. Okay, I'm not a huge fan of ginger, so that's why I'm like more hesitant around parkin. But you do have to like ginger, but yeah. it is a pop. But it is a popular winter and autumn spice. Clearly, yeah, sure, yeah, for sure. Are there, so we've talked about like how it's commemorated, but are there people who like specifically like don't commemorate it, don't participate in bonfires, like well, none of that kind of stuff? Some some Roman Catholics feel it's too close to the bone. Okay. They feel it's okay. too associated yeah, with anti-Catholicism. Right. It's not universally true. I mean, a couple of years mm-hmm. ago, so we have two big Catholic magazines papers in this country, the, the tablet, which is generally the more liberal and the Catholic Herald, which is generally the more more conservative, and a couple of years, the Catholic Herald published an opinion piece saying we should, you know, we should ban Guy Fawkes. It's insensitive mm. to the feelings mm. of Catholics. But actually, a lot of Catholics said, "Don't be ridiculous. It's ancient history. <laughs> we like fireworks." So it's a mixed. Yeah, sure. I mean, you certainly wouldn't get Catholic churches organising parish bonfire night celebrations, whereas you sometimes do get right. other churches doing that, and then some. Sure. And, and then it generally falls quite close to Diwali. So often mm. British Hindus 
don't bother to do the bonfire night they save the fireworks for diwali okay i'll be interested I've, I've just recently moved to, to a town where there's a very high muslim population i shall be interested to see what our neighbors do mm. i think that could go either way some people just, you know it's an excuse yeah. you know it's a fun excuse for a party and yeah. of course you know kids learn about it in school so so mm-hmm. i think it's a mixed bag but it is generally very widely celebrated nobody okay. that i know of does the guy fault does the gunpowder plot service though <laughs> Having said that, that, undoubtedly, I, pro, undoubtedly, there is some loon out there who's doing that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So our readings for today are the alternative readings for those who aren't observing All Saints Sunday, which is the case in mm-hmm. some denominations, although a lot of Lutherans, and I believe a lot of Anglicans yeah. will be. I, we, cer- we certainly will be at the college. We'll have All, Sa- all Saints sure. during the week when it falls. Yeah. But the reason why we're talking about Guy Fox is because this Sunday happens to land on November 5th. So technically speaking, all of these people, including Guy Fox, were baptized Christians. So technically, they're all included in the list of saints that we are theoretically remembering on All Saints, people who have died in the faith. <laughs> but like, I guess recognizing any of them by name would be a whole different universe. Of, yeah. Right? Yeah. I, I mean, I wouldn't have a problem with putting poor Father Garrett on there who 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 basically doesn't do anything wrong and dies for the point of principle of believing in the seal of the confessional but yeah i I can't imagine anyone but i think that one has to wait for the second coming to to sort that one out (laughs) that's fair that's fair okay so then we have had a little bit of sneak previews earlier in the episode but mm-hmm. as I mentioned, my primary knowledge at all about Guy Fox up until an hour ago was <laughs> V for Vendetta, which yeah. is like a pretty popular, like on November mm-hmm. 5th in the US, I have like the exact right nerdiness of community that yes. like I get the memes and I get the stuff and I get the V for Vendetta sure. stuff for Guy Fox Day. Yep. So what do you think about V for Vendetta or other like ones that I might not know about in well, pop? I, mean, I, th- I think it's really interesting how Guy does become this this icon of protest. You get this sort of particular mask which is of course, you know, in the film. It's a sort of stereotyped mm-hmm. 17th century gentleman. I mean, it, it draws on depictions of the event in woodcuts and he's got the, the, the moustaches are the, the way that a a military, you know, it reflects the hairstyle of a military man of the time. Mm. But it, it almost, mm. it has, it, yeah, I mean, you get, if you dive into the history, you know it doesn't hold up at all. But it's taken on a life of its mm. own. I mean, there's almost the icon of Guy Fox. There's got very little to do with the historical Guy Fox. And, you know, you get, you, you can see, you, you sort of see people wearing t-shirts saying, Guy Fox, the last man to enter Parliament with honest intentions. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I mean, strictly speaking, in terms of the law, that probably should get you on a terrorist watch list, but it probably won't. <laughs> it's historic enough that you can get away with it. And maybe it connects mm. to, you know, it, it's interesting, maybe it connects to the way in which Guy Fawkes turns in, in Mischief Night and the Lewis Bonfire into being a bit of a a way for people to say things that would otherwise impo- be impossible. Mm. Which, of co- But of course, in the, in, in the film, it's very much about actual anarchy, natural revolution. And you get, you see, if you see anti-capitalist demos, there is bound to be someone in the Guy Fawkes mask. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I really... Well, and I know there were people who wore them in the 2020 uprising protests. 
Ah, now that's interesting. Social justice mm. and stuff. Yeah. And it is not a hundred percent clear to me whether like what what exactly was the thought behind it because there's a certain extent to which like the pop culture kind of folklore thing that you're talking about but also just like not having your face be recognizable yeah Yeah. makes yeah like that was just the mask they happened to have yeah no indeed and it's cooler than a bandana (laughs) although it is it is of course easier to claim a bandana is just a bandana Also true. Yeah, yeah, but you're right. It's 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 hard. It's hard to unpick sort of what's meme and what's serious political commentary that's dressing itself up mm-hmm. as a meme. And I guess that's the thing about masks. It gives you a layer of deniability. But the mm-hmm. price is no one's quite sure what sure. you mean, which I just yeah. find really fascinating. Yeah, that's, that's fair. Yeah. 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 Exactly. <laughs> Are you curious about how the Twilight Saga is influenced by Mormon theology? Or why so many vampires are queer-coded? Have you sat up at night pondering if the documentary Jesus Camp counts as a horror film? Or have you ever wondered which slasher icon is which member of the Trinity? Do you ever get into debates about whether the movies Casper, Ghost, and Candyman can be part of the Ghostbusters expanded universe? Have you watched most of the Nightmare on Elm Street series before the age of 10? What? Who (laughs) does that? Okay, maybe that one's just me. (laughs) (laughs) But if you answered yes to any of the other questions, then we've got the podcast for you. And if you answered (laughs) yes to Pace's question. (laughs) That too. I'm Pace, and I am the super nerdy horror person who's been a horror fan since well before the age when it was appropriate to watch these movies. <laughs> and I'm Pastor Emily, and I am the inevitable queer coding somewhere in every horror movie. And we are the hosts of Horror Nerds at Church, a ridiculously queer podcast hosted by two non-binary trans nerds. Each season, we follow a horror franchise and a host of other horror and horror-adjacent movies to talk about how they connect to queerness, religion, and theology. We feature bona fide scary movies like Halloween, The Witch, Candyman, A Nightmare on Elm Street, and Suspiria. We also have non-scary movies or low-stake horror movies like Ghostbusters, The Addams Family, Doctor Strange, and Hocus Pocus. Our upcoming season, we are covering a galaxy far, far away by looking at the Star Wars and Alien franchises from queer, religious, and horror points of view. So whether you're a lifelong horror master like me, or a horror padawan like me, we have a place for you at Horror Nerds at Church. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you catch your podcasts. As we jump into the readings, our first reading for this episode is from Micah chapter 3, verses 5 through 12. Through the prophet, God proclaims what will happen to those who lead God's chosen people astray. So one of the themes in this passage, I will like my own disclaimer, it took me multiple times to read this passage and not think of current events. Mm. We're recording Mm. this about a week and a half before posting it. And so thinking about hospitals in Gaza mm. and the the kids yeah. and the families that don't have food and the ways that like peace is being declared. I, yeah. Mm. So that is like, I was like, 
I have to make a concerted effort to not have all of my comments about this, but I also like need to name that that is the immediate place where my mind went multiple times while I was like yeah. trying to prepare for this. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I think like one of the the things that does come up in this Micah reading, and Micah is a lot about this in general as a book, but like the idea of false prophets, right? The people mm-hmm. who are saying something for the wrong reason, something they don't know to be true or they know to be untrue because that's what gets them paid. That's what makes them the money, that sort of mm-hmm. a thing. And I actually thought of the show Travelers, which I've mentioned before, where people from the future have figured out how to pass their consciousness to people in the past. And in some ways, they become false prophets because they are trying to prevent certain things from happening so that they don't have the negative impact they think it'll have in the future. And it's fascinating to me because by doing what they do, then they become false prophets because then that thing that they're trying to prevent doesn't happen. It's a whole lot of time travel stuff too, mm-hmm. right? But and then there's the new stuff that they have to like prevent and yeah, a whole bunch of. There's a whole episode of My Little Pony Friendship is Magic where one of the ponies accidentally does this because there's time travel. She's trying so hard to make sure it doesn't happen, but that's adorable. And I think the first reference to My Little Pony that we've had on this show, I love it. And then as we dive into the verses, in verse 5 we read, Thus says the everlasting concerning the prophets who lead my people astray, who cry peace when they have something to eat, but declare war against those who put nothing into their mouths. And in Battlestar Galactica, when they finally get to, mm, probably we could make it habitable, planet they call it new caprica which is the planet that they're fleeing from the with the cylons and settle there and there's an election thing and gaius actually is voted into power but then the cylons come and take over and i feel like gaius does this exact thing like he is getting fed and he is being taken care of and so he's like okay, then it's fine. We're at peace. There's nothing wrong. But then, like, also simultaneously, violence is being done against the humans who are just trying to survive and don't have great working conditions and all of that stuff. So it's a battle star galactic. Yeah. And then in verse six, we read, therefore it shall be night to you without vision and darkness to you without revelation. The sun shall go down upon the prophets and the day shall be black over them. And that will be presumably considerably less helpful to us than it was (laughs) when it happened in Avatar The Last Airbender, uh, as they were fighting the Fire Nation at the time who got their powers from the sun and were considerably weaker than usual for a day. Although, of course, the Day of Black Sun also did not work out quite as expected in the end. But, Mm. you know, they tried. Yeah. Our second reading for this episode is 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 9 through 13. The author discusses his work with and relationship to members of the church in Thessalonica. So one of the themes that came out for me in this is the idea of like doing your part, doing your share. And I think there's a way that that can be ableist when we don't actually like take into account different abilities and disabilities and and what what contribution looks like and have more expansive view. But I think and and I think that's where Mirabelle and Encanto the movie really come in beautifully because in some ways within her family Mirabelle has a disability. She doesn't have the special candle magic power and 
is looked down on and kind of dismissed, especially by Abuela, as not caring about the house, as as like not carrying her share of the work, even though she's like way over functioning. And ultimately, it is precisely Mirabel who saves the house and saves the family and helps them understand that there is something bigger than just like exhausting yourself for the sake of everyone else and not also sharing in the work together and sharing in that unity and family. Yeah, which I love. Yeah. And then in the verses in verse 12, we read, urging and encouraging you and pleading that you should lead a life worthy of God who calls you into God's own kingdom and glory. And again, I don't know, I guess the Thessalonians reading today is just like, Emily points out how it can be used harmfully. (laughs) But the number of people, particularly queer people in the church, who have someone pleading with them to lead a life worthy of God under the assumption that queerness is not a life worthy of God. And I've been listening to Billy Porter's memoir as an audiobook. The memoir is unprotected. Mm. It is phenomenal. Billy Porter reads it themselves. But like, there is this beautiful navigation of the harm that the church does and has done to Billy, particularly as a kid, but of this like, lead a life worthy of God, you have this gift for singing, but don't use it that way. And I am just constantly amazed by the ways that Billy Porter maintains their own spirituality in the midst of all of that. And and like does not necessarily maintain Christianity and church stuff, but is able to kind of separate from the harm that he receives from the church and the actual relationship with God that she has. Mm. And it's, I just love it. Highly recommend. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, your comments about the potential for harm in this is, is, is quite right. But I mean, there's another way entirely you could read leading a life worthy of God. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't have to yeah. be about what, you know, about what the what not everything is yeah, no but not but more than that not a life worthy of god isn't actually about conforming to what other people put on you yeah right yeah and and i guess that's where the navigating it comes in and finding a way to yeah. to be to be authentic and holy the person god made you to be there's a wonderful british poet trans man called jay hume who's written two mm. two books of poetry the most recent yeah. ones are called a vanishing song and I'm going blank on the title of the first one. But Jay talks a lot about that, about about identity and finding your, your identity from God as a trans person, which doesn't sure. negate the harm that's been done. Mm-hmm. Although Jay's not from a Christian background, so it's it's a slightly different story to Billy Porter's. Right. But but I think he, he talks really beautifully about that. Yeah. And I think yeah. part of what I love, right, is that in the midst of Billy's own wrestling and like navigating all of the complexities and the recurring theme of not being protected, there is this clarity with which like Billy Porter has been leading a life worthy of God. Like the ways that Billy Porter is intentional about the money, about the access and the power and like the impact on other people, even in the midst of a really hard life. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas if someone had maybe shared this verse with some of the folks in the Guy Fox plot, yeah. you know, maybe <laughs> living a life worthy of God means not blowing people It is worth just... a try. So. It's, yeah. <laughs> you can share that with a lot of people. Huh? 
And then in verse 13, we read, we also constantly give thanks to God for this, that when you received the word of God that you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as what it really is, God's word, which is also at work in you believers. And this is a nice reminder that the word of God doesn't only come to us through scripture, although that's one place it comes to us, but also through other people via the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. uh, and this kind of reminds me of how Luke Skywalker in Star Wars learned mm -hmm. a lot about being a Jedi just straight up through the force mm -hmm. because, you know, his first mentor died uh, in the first Star Wars movie. And then, of course, his second mentor died in another <laughs> Star Wars movie. And, you know, I would just, you know, actually, I'm a little fuzzy on what happened in the next 30 years, but there might have been know, another I, I would, died. I would just certainly anyway. been quite cautious about taking Luke Skywalker on as a student, given the, the way... S yeah, <laughs> or being related <laughs> that to him. too, yes. <laughs> yeah. Just a dangerous person to be around. Mm -hmm. Nice guy, but... <laughs> And then our gospel reading for this episode is from Matthew chapter 23, verses 1 through 12. Jesus discusses how to address Pharisees and scribes and what we should and shouldn't call ourselves. So one of the themes in this is title, right? Mm. What do we call each other and what do we call ourselves and what language do we use? And Kay and I both on this podcast introduce ourselves as Pastor Emily and Pastor Kay, which is intentional because we're not, even when we are in the role, in the very explicit role of pastor, the number of times that people don't use the title and it is a sign of disrespect and it is a sign of not recognizing mm -hmm. our belonging in that space, the way that they might recognize a cishet white guy, for example. But there are so many different ways, like, right? You are Mother Joe. There's rabbis. There's in the Hunger Games, the victors, the doctor, and even like in Encanto, Abuela. Like each of those have different titles and have so much meaning in them. I think I get the push away from proper titles. And also I think there is something to be said for like that space of finding what the meaning is in those titles to be able to like yeah. hold that space instead of just automatically disregarding. Yeah. Also, it's maybe not entirely accidental that the push away from titles tends to happen whenever a group of people with marginalized mm. identities starts to, you know, yep. get those titles. Yeah, yeah, funny strange. how that works. But... Total coincidence, I'm sure. Oh yeah, totally. <laughs> I mean, if we're taking Matthew fairly literally, then really what it is is like all of the priests who go by father, mm. Or mother. Need to stop. And then ever, all the rest of us are fine. Like, And that's a different thing. Yeah. Somehow I don't think that that is going to happen anytime soon. But Or was what Jesus was actually saying. Mm. I mean, for sure it wasn't what Jesus was actually saying. That's yeah. fair. But since when has that stopped us? Well, indeed. I mean, I've heard people sort of complain about priests in the in the catholic tradition using father or if you mean you know the anglo-catholic tradition mother who then you know address their minister as minister it's like you're doing the same thing mm -hmm. yeah yeah and then diving into the verses in verse three jesus continues speaking and says therefore do whatever they teach you and follow it but do not do as they do for they do not practice what they teach and i am definitely a better coach than a player like I can tell people not just in a like run faster and you'll you'll win kind of way which I do fairly frequently when I'm cheering people on <laughs> it, it, I mean it's true if people took my advice they would win all the time <laughs> run faster than everybody else so helpful I know I try <laughs> 
in general, like, I am actually good at tutoring. I'm good at helping other people understand things. And so I was like, actually, like, sure. I could coach better than I could play basketball. Like, I knew what I was supposed to do. I just couldn't do it. But I also yeah. think about one of my dad's favorite, like, things that he used to say all the time that was like, do as I say, not as I do. And there's mm-hmm. just so much truth to that. So many. And come to think of it, that was one of my dad's favorite things to say about politicians. Hmm. Hmm. And then in verse 9, we read, Jesus said, And call no one your father on earth, for you have one father, the one in heaven. And, okay, so like we talked about, this episode is not really about going into depth about the full context behind like this verse and and why Jesus said it and what it goes on (laughs) about and all that. That's not really what we do here. We are Mm -hmm. here for pop culture connections. But I do like to occasionally pull this verse out as an example when people are talking about cherry picking what we want to follow in the Bible. Mm. (laughs) Because literally no one I've ever known follows this Mm. instruction from Jesus. And Jesus actually said this, right? So if we are focusing on the stuff Jesus said, this should be something that matters to us. And yet, not really. Mm. And I do kind of wonder if Jesus saying this comes out of the fact that his own parentage was in doubt so often. Like there are actually little side comments that people make to Jesus in the gospel about his father being uncertain, you know, Mm. what with his mother getting pregnant when she did. And that happens a couple of times. And you know, how different would Jesus have been? How different would the church around the world be if instead there had been more of a Mamma Mia approach to Jesus's parentage? <laughs> and, you know, there are some options. We'll, we'll have a party. And does it really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. And, you know, the idea of Abba existing in ancient Israel <laughs> is kind of amazing. But. That's fantastic, particularly because there are multiple like pride march signs that say something along the lines of jesus had two daddies and he turned out fine yeah (laughs) so yeah yeah i love that oh man a ancient israel palestinian version of abba now they would win eurovision in a heart yeah (laughs) although that although that is just called your pop group dad which (laughs) yeah And now for our most explosive segment. make a Muppets musical. So this is the segment where we pick any of the Bible passages or something we talked about today and cast it as if we were casting a Muppets musical with a character or a token human or a Muppet or some expansive understanding of the concept of Muppet. (laughs) So... Joe, do you have any Muppets that you've been thinking about? Well, I I, I mean, I I keep being haunted by the by the idea of Guy Fawkes a Muppet musical, which I I think would be would be horrifically (laughs) tasteless and really shouldn't be done. Oh, just skip the culture part, please. Exactly. 
that, that I just have I just have this image of I mean, Guy Fawkes as Q. yeah yeah but, but but I have this sort of particular mm. image of Guy Fawkes with his with his gunpowder as as beaker but evil sadly or possibly it's a relief after that my imagination runs dry on the Guy Fawkes the Muppets <laughs> musical yeah. I mean, I was, like, when you said Beaker, I was like, oh, but, like, if you had, like, experiments gone wrong, right, like, the science mm. lab down in the cellar, and the evil, yeah. evil Beaker and evil... I suppose Bunsen Honeydew would be the yeah. engineer trying Bunsen. to figure out yes. how to dig the tunnels. Yeah. Or, like, you know, I, that and I think there is probably potential for, for Stadler and Wal- Waldorf offering... <laughs> commentary on you know just how terrible this was how do you think this is going to work (laughs) but you know i yeah you know i think this is yeah especially when they're like trying to dry out the the gunpowder by the fire yeah i feel like that would also be just like this so there there is there is a popular british children's tv show called horrible histories where they there was a book series mm. as well, but I but I think actually the the TV series is funnier, uh, where they do sketches and particularly songs about events in British history. I'm not sure if they've ever done Guy Fawkes. Actually, they have they have done a lot huh. of uh, hmm. I mean horrible histories. You know, name is the name is the program, but there's cer- there's sure. certainly although you'd have to be quite careful how you did this because it's a BBC show and you don't you know not to get banned for traumatizing the children <laughs> but but I do think a horrible yeah, histories yeah. Guy Fawkes has potential it'll turn out someone's done it now I should have checked that before I came on the podcast <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, as I was thinking about this, I admit I was not really thinking about the Bible readings for the the Muppets either. Instead, when you started talking about Cinder Toffee, I was, you know, if if the Muppets did maybe instead of a Guy Fox episode or a Guy Fox movie, they could do a oh yeah, that would be episode. great. And yeah, and the Muppets discovering Cinder Toffee just as the like constant running gag in the background of all of them like losing teeth or getting stuck yeah. to things. I think that's the way forward. <laughs> With the Cinder Toffee. I mean, I, I did, I mean, when I was looking, I mean, these are not the most Muppet-friendly readings, I have to say. It's true. Yeah, it's true. But, but, but when, when we were reading the Thessalonians, I did just have a vision of Kermit looking put upon as he tries to deal with the chaos around <laughs> him in the Thessalonian church. Yeah, that's right. Making his Kermit yeah. face. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That... It isn't easy being green. Or an apostle. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. It isn't easy being green or an apostle. Yeah, I was. Fair. I was pretty stuck once you mentioned Avenue Q and Guy Fox. I was like, okay, now I'm like, no, this is like an Avenue Q production, <laughs> which is like I don't know those mu- those Muppet names, but having seen Avenue Q, I was like, okay, yeah, that tracks mm-hmm. a lot. Those are the adult yeah. Muppets. Yeah, I can't yeah. remember any of their names either, but uh, the general concept speaks for itself, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think if we were to cast Micah, though, we would have to have the token human be the prophets leading people astray, and then the like Muppets being the ones mm, who sure. don't have something to eat and are needing. Kind of like the majority of the characters in the Muppets Christmas Carol. I was just thinking Ooh. Muppets Christmas Carol. Yeah, against me. Yeah, and I want to make Micah Rizzo the rat. Just for fun. Oh, yes. That would look beautifully. <laughs> he would have so much fun. Yeah. So, Joe, any other thoughts on life, the universe, and everything? Um, 
42. No, if I'm allowed to, <laughs> if I'm allowed to do a truly shameless plug. Yes, our, please. One of, one of my other jobs at the college is to be director of an online program called the MA in Worship and Liturgical Studies. It's, it's an exciting program. Ooh. It is distance learning online. Lots of exciting people involved in teaching it. If you're interested in doing a master's degree in the field of worship or liturgy, I think it could be a very good and exciting option, particularly if you're in full-time work. Check us out on the website. Yeah, yeah and awesome. we will we'll link at... Fantastic. I, I hadn't ever thought of like distance learning going to school in the UK. Yeah, we'll I like yeah. it. It's a relatively recent program, so we've got a small group of students. But we we have an American who's based in the US. We have a student in South Africa, and we mm. have a, we have a Swedish Lutheran. So mm. well, you know, and we'd be very excited to welcome more international students. Yeah. That's awesome. Right. Well, Joe, thank you so much for joining us. This was fantastic. I learned so much yes. about something I knew yeah. almost nothing about blown away yeah Excellent. so thank you for that well thank you for the invitation it has been so much fun yeah. being with you yeah yeah and thank you our dear listeners for joining us our theme music was by rachel meyer lachlan and our muppets music was by brenda boss catch us next time when we'll discuss nerdery connections to the scripture readings for the 24th sunday after pentecost this podcast has been produced by us emily ewing and Kay roloff for more fun check us out on twitter facebook and now blue sky at nerds at church or contact us at nerds at church at gmail.com also if you like what you've heard rate us or leave us a review on apple podcasts facebook or wherever you catch your podcasts if you want access to our uncut guest episodes and interviews live q a's and more support us on patreon at patreon.com slash nerds at church it's cheaper than really probably any amount of explosives but please don't blow people up just bad idea. it's a very bad idea i think we've all learned that from today yes Hard agree. Hard agree. Also, let us know on Blue Sky, Facebook, or Twitter who you would cast for Let's Make a Muppets musical for this episode. As the ancient Christians said. Pax 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 Pax